writing historical fiction. Timelines have to be linear, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 28, Overall Episode 151 of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. This is where we talk about writing, spies, and writing about spies. I'm your host, espionage author P.A. Duncan. For this episode... Again, I'm delving more into the writing life. That is the writing part of talking about writing spies and writing about spies. And where this is sort of generic to writing, it's also important for writing about spies. And it has to do with timelines. Any historical fiction is constrained by the timeline of the era it portrays, or the event you're writing about, meaning everything you include needs to fit into the timeline. For example, if you're writing about World War I, you can't have jet airplanes. They didn't happen for a couple of decades later. If you do that, it's now science fiction or the subgenre of science fiction called alternative history or alternate history. You also have to stay within the social mores of a specific time for the most part. Any technology or lack thereof, again, needs to fit the timeline. Sometimes, though, that timeline tries to take over and make your writing all that more difficult. For my debut novel, A War of Deception, I set it in the early part of 2001, which was concurrent with the event it was based on. Indeed, it takes place within the first three or four months of 2001, which means, of course, I had to be careful not to reference any events that happened outside that timeline. My first series, A Perfect Hatred, is based on the events leading up to the Oklahoma City bombing. The timeline was very specific between April 19, 1993 to April 19, 1995. Within that two-year timeline, there were historical milestones that certain events in the story had to fall on. Other than that, much of the action, I simply fit it where it was logical in the timeline. In reality, it may have been woefully out of sequence, but this was fiction. In other words, the timeline was important, but it couldn't control the narrative. The same was true for my next series, Self-Inflicted Wounds, which takes place in the Balkans, specifically Yugoslavia, in the year 2000. It had to be Yugoslavia because Yugoslavia still existed then. 
And the action takes place throughout most of that year. It literally starts in January of that year. Again, there were specific milestones where a known event had to happen. This person was killed, this speech was made, this election was moved up, and so forth. But for the completely fiction portions, the timeline could be flexible. My current series, Meeting the Enemy, inspired by 9-11 and its aftermath, is not only recent history, but within the timeline of my story in the series from 9-11-2001 to early 2004, there are events and milestones that most people remember and are familiar with. So the timeline here had to be somewhat controlling the narrative. I didn't have as much flexibility as usual, but that's okay. I wanted to stick to the timeline in this instance. But unfortunately, that timeline managing the narrative has bled over into a standalone novel I've been working on for a couple of years. So much so, I found myself forcing the story into a timeline that didn't really have significant milestones for the story, for the overall setting and the overall time period, yes, but not for this specific story. This novel that I'm working on is about Belfast, Northern Ireland, during the Troubles, in a specific year, 1979. That was an eventful year in Northern Ireland around Belfast in the sense it was a continuation of IRA attacks on the British Army and loyalist responses and so forth, the typical things that happened in the Troubles. My story, however, involves an outside group, an English nationalist group that's working inside Northern Ireland and attacking current and former IRA members. So the specific timeline for 1979 in Belfast is more in the background of this story. There are references made to it, but it's not the story itself. However, again, likely because I was coming off a timeline-restricted series, I found I was forcing fictional events to conform to a specific and detailed timeline that was actually secondary to what I was trying to do. The story wasn't about the timeline. It was about these people and this nationalistic group. It wasn't about everything happening in Belfast, which is what I tried to push it into. I was assigning specific dates to scenes, and then when I got bogged down in researching when high schools in Virginia held their graduations in 1979, I realized that the most important aspect of the timeline was simply the year, 1979. I could be completely flexible in this story about what happened when but I lost sight of that. 
However, certain fictional events do have to occur in a specific sequence, even if the when doesn't matter. For example, I can't refer to the Good Friday Agreement because that doesn't happen for nearly 20 years. Indeed, actual historical milestones in this story, based on real events, take place before the story that starts in 1979. So that part of it, yes, had to be very timeline-centric. But again, so long as I put events in the correct year, the specific when of this specific story wasn't as important. And once I realized that, after almost three years of working on this book, I felt like I finally, finally had a handle on the story. Maybe this is also the disadvantage of being an historian writing historical fiction. My tendency is to adhere with precision to the timeline. But I have to remind myself I'm not writing an academic paper that has to be 100% accurate, but I'm writing what I hope is entertaining fiction that only has to reflect the when of the story. This week, I'm focused on book three of my series, A Perfect Hatred, which I mentioned earlier. And that book is Descending Spiral. In this volume of the series, many things are spiraling out of control for Mai Fisher, and that's something she's not accustomed to. Her relationship with her partner and husband is at the lowest point it's been in a long time, to the point where her personal problems begin to affect the professional in her. After all of her careful building of trust with her suspect, John Carroll, that too begins to unravel as Carroll gets closer and closer to the event Mai is trying to prevent. It doesn't matter if you're a spy or not, whatever your profession is. You reach a point where you question everything about it. How did you get here? Why are you still here? What's the point of, well, everything? It's no different from my, but she has to push through because so much is at stake. I many times had that feeling in my government career, and I've had it since I retired to write full-time. Almost every writer I know questions at some point if writing is all worth it. I decided my government career was worth finishing, and there's no way I'll stop writing. I may bitch and moan and whine and complain on occasion about it, but I love writing, and it's something I will always do. So I think it's safe to assume, since I'm in control here, my will get her act together. Uh, maybe by the end of the book. Let's hope. And even if Alexei questions her decisions, she's still going to push through. And again, Descending Spiral ends on a cliffhanger 
and a little bit of a down note. Because, you know, I've got to get you interested in reading book four to figure out and find out what happened. And now it's commercial time. All four books in A Perfect Hatred, End Times, Bad Company, Descending Spiral, and Collateral Damage are 99 cents each throughout this month. And there will be some free days starting on July 25th, 2023, and going through July 29th, 2023. So next week, look for that. The compilation of the reader magnets associated with a perfect hatred, Quintet is the title of that, is only 99 cents as well, and will also be included in the free days starting next week. So if you're patient, next week you can get the whole series plus the reader magnet compilation for free. Yes, I'm a very generous person. And commercial over. All right, let's have a reading from Descending Spiral now. And I'll set this up a bit. My, as Siobhan Darty, is with John Carroll in Kingman, Arizona, where she's continuing her push to turn him away from Patriot City and its so-called self-proclaimed prophet, Elijah. Carol has Elijah come to a bar where Carol and Siobhan are drinking so he can meet Siobhan and then give permission for Carol to share the big secret, the big special project with her. But Mai and Elijah have a debate of sorts and big surprise, Mai pisses Elijah off. She tells Carol she's going to the car and leaves the bar. Elijah follows, and Mai gets the idea, the tactical decision, to let Elijah beat her, literally, physically, to show Carol Elijah can't be trusted. So ahead of time, I'll apologize for my Irish accent. After 50 years of not hearing my grandmother's brogue, I'm a bit rusty at it myself, but we'll give it a try. Sure, you know. A Perfect Hatred, Descending Spiral. Chapter 51, Repercussions. A few hours later, the Tylenol wore off, and the renewed pain woke my. Carol's breathing was light, shallow, so much for his staying awake. Though she had to chew the inside of her mouth to keep from crying out, she managed to slide from the bed without waking him. In the bathroom, she closed and locked the door and used the toilet. No burning when she urinated, but when she stood to refasten her jeans, she saw streaks of blood in her urine. Not much, so no serious damage. She looked away and flushed the toilet. There was no escaping her battered face in the mirror. Never mind how she would explain this to Alexei. How would she explain it to Natalia? Given the household tension lately, Natalia would probably think Alexei had done this. 
No, Natalia would never think that about him. My splashed cold water on her face and patted it dry with a scratchy towel. Carol was awake, sitting up on the side of the bed when Mai left the bathroom. He rose and came to her, his fingers barely brushing her bruised cheek. Oh, God, Siobhan, it looks awful, he said. I still think I should take you to the clinic. No, that's final. She went back to the bed and eased herself down onto her back her lips pursed against the pain. Carol got a blanket from the closet and covered her before he sat on the bed with her, his arms braced on either side of her. He peered into her eyes. His eyes were what had attracted her in the first place, that soulless emptiness at Killeen. Far from soulless now, they shone with an emotion she'd engendered but didn't want to acknowledge. Lad, Now's your chance. If you wanna fuck me, I'm in no shape to stop you. Thanks to your profit. Don't say that. I could never do that. I, I mean, I want to, but not like this. Again, he touched her face, his fingers so light on her skin, she wasn't sure he'd actually touched her. I, I only want a profit to explain so you'd understand what it is I have to do, Carol said. Never came up while he was trashing me senseless. Again, if it endangers you or someone else, I won't understand. I'll never understand. Jay, I told you about my bomb back in Ireland for a reason. His eyes slipped away. Siobhan, don't. Look at me, lad. He did, with reluctance. I'm certain it's a bomb. How could you know that? He asked. All right. Confirmed, she thought. I told you, I've plotted and planned far more than you have. I know it's to do with Killeen. His eyes hardened. No, please, it can't have anything to do with you. It already does. She tried to rise and gave in to the need to groan at the pain. Carol eased her back down on the bed. Shh, he soothed. The clinic. It won't ask questions. No, listen to me. Prophet will figure out I know too much. He'll tell you to kill me. No, he won't. Yes, he will. Carol shook his head. Right now, she didn't remember whether it was Alexei, Terrell, or Nelson, or all of them, who told her she'd be at this point. But here she was. Since you're hell-bent, then, I'm faced with a choice, too. Mai said and slipped her hand under his shirt. His skin quivered where she touched him. She took her gun from his waistband, flipping the holster away. She put the muzzle against the left side of his chest, angled so the bullet would enter his heart. I could stop you right here, right now. She made the mistake of looking into his eyes. If she shot him, she would set Elijah's plans back, but if she shot him, she'd break her own fundamental rule. She'd never killed in anything other than self-defense. You didn't operate the action, he murmured. I carry what around, Trambert. He showed her no fear, only tears, so different from the cold, calculating face at Killeen. She brought him here to this point, where he could feel again, 
have meaning again, and she had to take that all away. Her finger slipped onto the trigger. Her thumb clicked off the safety. He recognized the sound, giving a start when he heard it. Can you? he asked. I have. Can you? I could never hurt you. I'll tell him that. The image of her house, stained with the blood of men from Patriot City, came to her. What's to stop me from going to the police, then? Mai asked. You said what I told you stayed with you. I believe that. A low day when your own lies get thrown back in your face, she thought. Jay, love, the thing you want to do, it's wrong. What the government did at Killeen, what they ask of me in special forces training, all that was wrong. Aye, it was. But two wrongs never make a right. Why can't you believe me? He kissed her. Light touches on her lips and cheeks. It's easy to believe you. More than anyone, any woman. It's so easy to believe you. But you said it to profit. I have to make up my own mind. And have you? He smiled at her, regret in his eyes. She pushed the gun hard against his chest, so hard he'd bruise. Her finger tightened on the trigger. In her head, Alexei's voice said, Shoot. Her hand fell away from his side. Carol took the Beretta from her, removed the magazine, and ejected the round. He glanced at the bullets, the black talons he'd given her months before. He smiled. He laid the gun, its holster, and the magazine on the table between the beds. He leaned down, flexing his arms to keep from putting weight on her chest, and kissed her long enough to leave her breathless. When he shifted away from her, she remembered who she was. Jay, I need for you to stay and listen to me. I have something important to explain. Siobhan, more than anything, I want to stay with you, but I can't. I'm talking about your life, about making sure you can have one. I have to go. I, I love you. She reached for him, but he was gone. All right, that's enough for this week. I thought about putting the next scene in where Alexei comes to collect her from the hotel room and they have this like big knockdown drag out fight, but it was too long. We would have been like into 45 minutes for the episode and, you know, I didn't want to do that. I'm trying to keep them right around a half hour, a little less, a little more. So enough for this week. Next week, I will wrap up featuring the books of A Perfect Hatred, talking about the concluding volume titled Collateral Damage. This weekend is going to be kind of a mixed bag of entertainment for me. On Friday, I'm going to see Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. Haven't seen that in a while. I'm looking forward to it. And then on Saturday, I'm going to see the movie Oppenheimer. Robert Oppenheimer is a figure from history who's always fascinated me. All that knowledge, all that genius, and a desire to save the world from fascism 
at the same time knowing that what he's going to use for that might destroy the world. I saw a video of an interview with Oppenheimer in the 1950s after the war, where he repeated to the interviewer what he said when the test bomb detonated at Los Alamos. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. The way he delivered that line was so chilling. And yet in his eyes, you could see his, not regret, but his humility almost, his, yeah, regret that he had done this thing which had now become exploited into even more and more powerful weapons. It was something that stuck with me a long time. I've read the book that the movie is based on, and it, it's an excellent biography. I highly recommend it. And of course, the title of it has escaped me. I believed it's American Prometheus, but I will check. I should have done this before, but I was in a hurry to get this done. I will check and I'll give you the correct title next week and maybe a little review of the movie. So watch yourselves in the heat this weekend. At least I'll be in an air-conditioned theater Friday and Saturday. And that means I can be comfortable keeping an eye out for spies. The proceeding has been a production of Unexpected Paths Media, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Join us next week for a new episode of the Real Spies, Real Lives podcast. And Slava, Ukraini.